The following audio is from Christian Heritage Church. More information about Christian Heritage Church is available at chctoday.com. Take your Bibles this morning, turn with me to the book of Exodus, if you would please, chapter 15. Exodus 15 is the immediate scene after Israel has been led across the Red Sea on dry ground. And as they cross, the waters roll down behind them, crashing upon Pharaoh, his men and his chariots, and consuming them. You'll remember in Exodus 14, God said to the Israelites, you'll never see these Egyptians again. And he made true on that promise. So now we go to Exodus chapter 15, and we begin to read what happened when they were celebrating the victory. Verses 1 through 6. Then Moses and the children of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he cast into the sea. His chosen captains are also drowned in the Red Sea. The depths have covered them. They sank to the bottom like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, has become glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, has dashed the enemy to pieces. Father, in Jesus' name, will you take this moment, speak to the heart of your people, and remind each and every one of us that your promises are yet true. Remind us, Lord, that we go from victory to victory. But that also means we go from battle to battle. And let us never forget, just because we won one battle, that the struggle is over. The fight continues until the Lamb brings us home. Drive these truths into the heart of your people today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When you read this story and then you jump to chapter 16 in the book of Exodus, you soon begin to realize the Israelites, even though they had seen the deliverance of God, even though they experienced mighty miracles, were living under somewhat of an illusion. An illusion is a false idea or a belief, a thing that is or is likely to be wrongly perceived or interpreted by the senses. And therein lies the problem. When we look at life simply from the senses, what we see, hear, touch, taste, and smell, we often have a misinterpretation of what's really going on. And that becomes an illusion in our life, and then that illusion becomes a disillusion because what we thought was going to happen doesn't happen. We're going to see that here in the book of Exodus this morning. A disillusion is something that is disappointed. We are disappointed that something is not as good or valuable, or true, as it had seemed. Now look at the story with me. They just came out of Egypt. Pharaoh had a a, a moment of remorse that he let him go, so he began pursuing them. The Red Sea in front of them, the Egyptians behind them, and God came to the rescue. Aren't you glad we serve a God who still rescues? We serve a God who still saves, a God who still intervenes in the life of his people. They cross the Red Sea, and then they begin to sing the song of victory that's recorded pretty much in the entirety of the 15th chapter of Exodus. They were rejoicing because God had done something great for them. 
It was wonderful. I can almost see it as you read this scripture. Our problems are over. We're slaves no more. The enemy is defeated and dead. It's all green grass and smooth slopes from here on out. The illusion. The illusion. The illusion. They thought if we can just get out of Egypt, if we can just get out of slavery, if we can just be a people of freedom one more time, everything will be okay. Can I tell you, changing your geography will not change what's going on in your life. Changing your mate will not change what's going on in your life. Changing a job will not change what's going on in your life. You need to hear me today. Don't fall into a place of disillusionment because you have an illusion. Just because someone comes to Christ, gets into the church, begins serving him, doesn't mean life's going to be hunky-dory and easy from there on out. You need to understand, Jesus said in this world, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. Why? Because I have overcome the world. Oh, come on, church, understand, don't fall into that disillusionment that surrounded the Israelites at this moment in time. Life was grand. God was powerful. The Egyptians were dead. They had no more worries. Well, except one thing. They're in the middle of nowhere. Except one thing. They couldn't stay where they were at. Except one thing. They had to move forward. Kind of reminds me of the bricklayer who was injured on the job. And when he submitted the insurance claim, he listed the reason for the accident, trying to do it by myself. They wrote back wanting further explanation because of the nature of his injuries. So he said, I'm responding to your inquiry for further information about my accident. I want you to understand I listed the reason for the accident as trying to do the job by myself. Let me explain. I was working on the sixth floor of a six-story brand new building. When I finished, I realized I had about 500 pounds of bricks left over. Rather than carrying them by hand, I decided to put them in a barrel, which was attached to a pulley on the outside of the building, and lower them down. So I went down, and I secured the rope, went back up to the top, loaded the bricks in the barrel, and then went back down and began to lower those bricks. At this point, he said, note in box 22, my weight was 150 pounds. He said, so I took a firm grip on the rope and began to lower the bricks. Imagine my surprise when that 500-pound barrel of bricks began to descend and I began to go up. Somewhere around the third floor, I met the barrel of bricks, hence the fractured skull and the separated shoulder. He said, and then I found that my right hand, the knuckles, were buried three fingers into that pulley. But I had the presence of mind to hang on to the rope, not turn loose. Unfortunately, when the barrel hit the ground, the bottom busted out. And now devoid of the weight of the bricks, it only weighed 50 pounds. Remember my weight in box 22. And I began a rapid descent again. And about the third floor, I met the barrel coming up. Hence the both two fractured ankles and all the cuts and bruises on my lower body. He said, fortunately, colliding with that barrel slowed me enough, so I only fractured three vertebrae when I fell on the pile of bricks. But somehow in that pain, I lost my presence of mind, and I turned loose of the roof. And then the barrel fell one more time, and resulting in the two broken legs. All because I tried to do the job by myself. The point of this story is this, you can never make it on your own. 
The Israelites thought God had done something great for them and then everything would be fine from there. But you can never make it on your own. No matter where you go or what you do, you need a heavenly father watching over you. You need a faithful God who proves his faithfulness day after day after day after day. You need to know that his eye is on the sparrow and he's watching over you as well. We need to understand we can't do this thing by ourselves. We need God in our corner and on our side. So when you begin reading the end of chapter 15, you see that the Israelites traveled three days. Three days. Not three weeks, not three months, not three years. Three days. Three days. Everybody say that with me. Three days. They traveled three days from the Red Sea, and they had no water. And when they came to the waters of Marah, they were bitter. They couldn't drink them. And the Bible says they complained against Moses. Oh, somebody needs to hear me today. So many times in the church, it's not what has God done for me lately. It's what did God do for me in the last minute. We seem to forget his faithfulness and his goodness and his mercy. Do you really think the God who swallowed the Egyptians in the Red Sea couldn't have provided for them three days later? Oh, come on, folks. Our faith is based upon what God has done and what God has said he would do. Someone asked me this past week, what's the difference in tradition and traditionalism? Traditionalism is death to the church. It means we do the same thing the same way because that's the way we've always done it. It stinks. It smells. It's foul. It's religion in its highest form. But I've come to tell you, there is great tradition in believing I serve a living God. I serve a risen Savior. My life is planted on His Word that never changes. He still saves and heals and delivers and sets men free. I've come to tell you, it may be three days, but He hasn't forgotten you. He hasn't left you. He is still right there because he's faithful. Because he's faithful. They begin to gripe, grumble, and complain. Complaining against Moses, they were disillusioned with their circumstance. And then you turn to Exodus chapter 16 and read verse 3. It says, And the children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we would have died in the land of Egypt, where we had plenty of food. We sat by the pots of meat. We ate bread to the full. But Moses, you brought us out here three days, three days after God delivered them, three days. But Moses, you brought us out here to let us die in this wilderness. I like the way the message says that verse. It says, why didn't God let us die in the comfort of Egypt? Are you kidding me? Do you not remember Egypt? You were slaves. You were harshly abused. You were mistreated. There was a taskmaster with a whip forcing you to do what you didn't want to do. You were not living your destiny. You were living under the dominion of an evil taskmaster. What do you mean? Let us die in the comfort of Egypt. There was no comfort in Egypt. You see, this is the problem. We see our circumstance today and then we begin to long for the good old days. The good old days. That's what they were saying. Take us back to the good old days. Take us back to Egypt. At least we had plenty to eat. We aren't going to starve to death. Three days. Do y'all hear what I'm saying? It's not as though God hadn't been faithful. They had forgotten God's faithfulness. 
It's not as though God hadn't revealed his power. They had forgotten God's power. And we looked at the Israelites and we kind of looked down our nose at them. I can't believe they did that. What are you talking about? We do it all the time. We're just as bad, just as guilty. Oh, we long for the good old days. Who in this room grew up in the South prior to air conditioning? Raise your hand. Oh, there's a lot of you. A lot of you. You need to understand the good old days really weren't that good. Come on, I'm telling you. It was hot. It was sweaty. It was miserable. The good old days really weren't that good. I grew up in the middle of nowhere in western Oklahoma in the good old days. We didn't have indoor plumbing until I was 10 years old. Didn't have a phone until I was a freshman in high school. The electricity was off more than it was on. The good old days, no thank you. I don't want to go back there. You will never hear me saying, take me back to Egypt. At least the flesh pots were full and we had plenty of bread to eat. How ridiculous when we begin to pine for what God has not provided. God provided for the Israelites hope and a future. And he's done the same thing for you. So when things get a little tough, suck it up. Quit griping, grumbling, and complaining. And move on in the plan of God. Move on and let him do something mighty in your life. They were disillusioned. They looked back and they forgot. And they begin to murmur and grumble and groan and complain. You see, illusions become extremely powerful when something is lacking in our lives. They didn't have any food. Something was lacking in their lives. You need to ask yourself, when you're in that place of discontent, disillusionment, there must be something lacking in me because the Bible tells me when I focus on God, I find my contentment in Him. He is my source and my supply. There is no lack and there is no want in me. Now that doesn't mean everything goes well all the time, but it means I know there is a faithful God watching over me, leading me, guiding me, directing me, who will never leave me and never forsake me. He takes my hand and walks me through every dark place of light. And when I can't see, he still can. When I don't know where to go, he still does. When I don't have a word, he's got a word. When I don't know which direction to turn, he speaks and tells me, oh, would somebody get a hold of what I'm telling you today? It's time to recognize when we're in a place of disillusionment, it's because something's lacking in our lives. Something's lacking. I love the way Paul wrote it in retrospect about this period of Israel's history. He said this in 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 5. I don't want you to be unaware that all of our fathers were under the cloud. They all passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food. They all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. What's he saying? He's saying no matter where they were at, God was with them. No matter what they needed, he already provided. Oh, we need to understand it's time to stop looking back and look forward and recognize any lack in my life. He will meet and he will supply. Troubling part is in verse 5 where he said, But with most of them God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. In our text this morning, they got hungry. And they wanted to go back. 
They got hungry and they forgot the promises of God. Can I tell you, God has so much more planned for those folks than what they received. And as a result, their bodies were laying in the wilderness. Oh, come on, don't be a casualty in the world of Christianity. Don't be one who gives up and gives in just before the victory comes. You need to know and understand one thing about me, and that's I'm never going to quit and I'm never going to give up because I know my God is faithful and He will carry us through. He will carry us through. Illusions then become painful. When they begin experiencing the hunger pains, it turned into a faith pain, a soul pain. And they forgot what was behind them. Take us back to Egypt. Let's go back to the good old days. Are you kidding me? The Egyptians killed your babies. What's the matter with you? Are you kidding me? You were a slave. What's the matter with you? Why are you thinking that way and looking back? There's nothing back there that's a benefit to you. Now let's apply it to the church. This thing of Christianity is just too hard. I don't think I can do it anymore. Standards are too high. I can't do it. I can't do what the Bible asks me to do and tells me to do. It's impossible. I'm just going to give it up. I've tried this church thing, and I met some mean folks. Anybody ever meet any mean folks in church? I've met a few of them. Yeah, there's some rattlesnakes that come to church. You know that, right? Absolutely. Don't be surprised and don't be shocked. I don't go to church because there's hypocrites. Duh. Come on. Quit using those flimsy, silly excuses and move on with God. We use everything we can to excuse our disobedience to the word. And then we say we can't do it. Yes, you can. Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We need to understand when we identify with him, when we identify with his presence, when we identify with his sonship, when we identify with his sacrifice, then we also know the power of his resurrection. We can do it through him. They said, we can't do this anymore. It's too hard. It's too difficult. Let's go back to Egypt. Becomes painful in our hearts and painful in our lives. And when we live in a place of illusion that brings disillusionment, we begin to repeat the same old patterns that frequented us in the past. The same old things come on us and overcome us. I don't have time to go into it, but you can read it in John chapter 21, verses uh, actually the entire chapter. Jesus was appearing for the second time to the disciples after his resurrection. And after he appeared to them, Peter said this in verse 3, I'm going fishing. Now you need to understand something. What Peter expected in the ministry of Jesus Christ and when he followed him before he was crucified is not what happened. Disillusion. And when Jesus rose again from the dead, Peter was right there at the tomb to verify it's empty. But still, after the second appearance of the resurrected Christ, he was disillusioned. I'm going fishing. I'm going to go back and do what I know to do. That's what that statement means. I'm going to go do what I know to do because what I thought was going to happen, what I thought he was going to do, is not occurring. So when you read that passage of Scripture, you realize that Peter was saying, I heard him, I saw him, I recognized him, but there's a voice in my ear, and I still remember that rooster crowing three times. 
There's a voice in my ear, and I remember that little servant girl saying, you are one of them. There's a voice in my ear that is trumping the voice of Christ, and all I can hear is that I failed, and he's done nothing to assure me I can move forward. Let's go fishing. Read that scripture, and it says that they fished all night, and they caught nothing. And then at daylight, Jesus was on the shore, and he said, have you caught anything? And they said, no. He said, well, throw your net on the right side of the boat. Listen, I know he's talking about direction, but I think there's spiritual implication to that statement. If you're not receiving what you want from God, you need to put your net where Jesus says, put it. Put it on the right side, not the left side. Where is he seated? He's seated at the right hand of God. Oh, come on, church. Quit doing your own thing. Get in tune with him, and he will minister in you and through you. Put it on the right side. The Bible says the net was so full it began to break. And after they had breakfast on the beach that morning, Jesus said three times to Peter, Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And then each time he reaffirmed his call on Peter's life. Each time he said, I still have something for you to do. Each time he said, you have not been disqualified. Oh, somebody shouted, man, I need to hear that word. You need to hear that word. It may you did fail. Maybe you did let God down. But he's come to tell you today, you're not disqualified. Put your head on the right side. Get back in relationship with me. And let's move forward into what I want you to do. You're not disqualified. What do we have to do to overcome disillusionment? We press on. We move forward. We don't set up our tent there. We don't camp in that spot. We press on. Paul said it this way in Philippians 3, 13 and 14. I don't count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do. One thing I do. I forget those things which are behind me, and I reach forward to those things which are ahead of me. Okay, you failed. I get that. Okay, you washed out. I get that. Okay, you disappointed somebody. I get that. But put it behind you and move forward to the destiny God has in your life. I am so sick and tired of whining and moaning and groaning about what happened. Come on, folks. You're talking about it. Isn't going to fix it. Move forward. Press on. Get beyond it and let God do something great in your life. He said, I reach forward to those things that are ahead. The next verse says, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Oh, hear me. There's something greater. I'm so glad Errol sang that song this morning. There's something greater than what I see, than what I taste, than what I feel, than what I hear, than what I experience with my senses. I'm here to tell you, there is a home in the heaven. There is an eternity to be gained and a hell to be shunned. And it's time to press forward in Jesus' name. Press forward. When we're in that place of disillusionment, the only way through it is to move forward. You can't stay where you're at. You got to move forward. You can't fall back. You got to move forward. That's why the writer of Hebrews wrote it this way in Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. He said, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, 
Let us lay aside every weight and the sin that does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race set before us. Move forward is what he's saying. He goes on to say, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. And look at verse 3. This is what I want you to see. Verse 3 says these words, Consider him who endured hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. When you're in a place of disillusionment, what do you do? You press forward. You press forward. But not only that, you remember, you rehearse what Jesus has done for you. He paid the ultimate price. He did exactly what was needed. All you have to do is keep your life centered on what he has done and move into that next dimension. Like the way it says it from the message in verse 3, it says, When you find yourselves flagging in your faith, go over that story again. What story? The story of his crucifixion. The story of his resurrection. The story of Jesus embracing the will of God. Go over that story again, item by item. Lord, I'm so thankful that you loved me before I was ever born. I am so thankful that while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. I am so thankful that nothing can separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, my Lord and Savior. Neither height nor depth, nor principality, nor power, nor things present, nor things to come. Nothing can separate me from what God has already done for me. Rehearse the story. Go over item by item. I am so thankful that you endured the whip and the scourge. Because today I can say, by his stripes, I am healed. I am so thankful that you bore my confusion and my chaos and gave me your peace. I am so thankful that you chose, and I'll never understand it, but you chose to hang on a rugged cross in shame, despised by all around you. And I am so thankful that when you hung on that cross, my name was written in your soul. And my sins were born in your body so that today I can say because he lives, I live also. Rehearse the story, item by item, line by line, remembering what he's done for you. Remembering that long litany of hostility that he plowed through. Now, come on, you're looking for a perfect life, you're not going to find it on this earth. You're looking for trouble-free, pain-free existence, you're not going to find it on this earth. But I've got news for you. There was a promise that when this life expires and we enter the presence of God, there will be no tears, there will be no sorrow, there will be no pain, there will be no sickness, there will be no heartache, there will be no take me back, because we have actually achieved and accomplished everything that God has prepared for us. When you're in a place of disillusionment, remember what he did for you. When you're in a place of disillusionment, remember this isn't the end. Remember, life is greater than what we see and experience here today. And move forward. Move forward. Move forward. See, church, just because we want to battle doesn't mean we quit fighting. Just because we want to battle 
doesn't mean we retire our weapons. Just because we want a battle doesn't mean there will never be opposition again. The Israelites thought, man, look what God did at the Red Sea. We are set for life. They lived under an illusion that led to disillusionment. I've come to tell you that as long as you're walking in shoe leather and breathing air on this earth, you're in a fight. And you need to understand you're in a fight. There is an enemy who desires to destroy you, but greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. We're in a fight. Pick up your weapons. Pick up your shield. Pick up your sword. Pick up your faith and go and press forward. 1 Kings chapter 18. Get ready behind me. 1 Kings chapter 18. You'll find the story of Elijah the prophet. He was a thorn in King Ahab's side. Hadn't rained because of the wickedness of Ahab and his queen Jezebel. God was trying to bring Israel back to him. And Elijah said, I want to meet with the king. And you can read it in 1 Kings chapter 18. You'll find it in verse 17. When Ahab saw him, he said, there you are, the one who's troubling Israel. Oh, come on, folks. You've got to get things in perspective. You've got to understand Elijah wasn't the one at fault. Ahab was the one at fault. He was just getting blamed for Ahab's circumstances. And Elijah said, it's time to prove who's God in this land. You all know the story. I don't have time to read it or tell it in detail. But essentially he said, Ahab, you bring those prophets of Baal, all 450 of them. And let's meet down here and let's see who is the real God. Because the God who answers by fire, he's the God of Israel. They built their altar, they sacrificed their bull, they danced, they chatted, they sang, they cut themselves, they cried out, they hollered, they did everything, and God never answered. Their God never answered. Finally, it says at the time of the evening sacrifice, Elijah said, you're done. It's now time to prepare the platform for the king. It's time to show you who is the God of Israel. It says he took the stones and rebuilt the altar of God and offered the bull on it. And then he ordered water to be dumped over that sacrifice. See, he didn't want anybody saying you're doing the same old tricks the prophets of Baal are doing. You've got kindling under the altar. And when you begin to dance and sing and shout and blow on it, it's going to erupt in fire. He didn't want any of that. He wanted them to understand God is God. And after they had done all that, then he said, God, hear me and answer me. And the Bible says that God answered by fire and consumed the sacrifice. And then Elijah said to who? To the people of Israel. Read the story. They were there. He said to the people of Israel, don't let the prophets of Baal escape. It's time to kill them right here and now. And then the Bible says he said to his servants, Go look at the sky because it's about to rain. Seven times the servant ran as Elijah prayed. Finally, on the seventh time, he said, there was a cloud the size of a man's hand. Elijah said, that's it. Go tell Ahab, I hear the sound of abundance of rain. Listen, folks, he was not basing that on what he saw with his eyes. He was basing it on what he saw with his spirit man. And he knew that what God promised, God was able also to perform. So the Bible says that Ahab got in his chariot and began making his way back to the city. But the Lord strengthened Elijah and he ran before him. 15 miles, 15 miles, Israel was turned back to God. It's a great story of faith. I love it. 
but it doesn't end there. Because we don't just fight one battle and then win. The battle goes on. When Ahab got back to town, he said to Jezebel, and he told her everything that Elijah had done and everything that had happened out there on the mountain. And then she said these words in 1 Kings 19 verse 2. Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So let the gods do to me and more also. If I don't make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. She sent him a message that didn't resonate with what God had spoken. And he believed her. He believed her. He believed her. Because he ran for his life and he sat down under a tree and he said, God, just kill me. I'm tired of this. I'm done with this. I can't do this anymore. Just take me out. Do me and you a favor. So I've come this morning to ask you this question. When you fight a battle and you win the victory, you need to understand that's not the end. The enemy's coming at you again. And in those moments, you need to know who has your ear. Who's speaking into your ear? Who's speaking into your heart? Elijah chose to allow Jezebel to speak into his heart, bring fear and intimidation. Oh, I've come to tell you, when the enemy comes against you, you need to stand up against him and rebuke the lie of the devil. We talked about it a couple of weeks ago. When the enemy comes in one way, Deuteronomy 28, he will flee seven ways because that's what God has done. Bill Agner told me after that service, seven is the number of completion. So you need to understand, if you drive him out one way, he's going to come back again. But when God drives him out seven ways, the battle is won. The victory is yours. He has done what it promised to do. Stand your feet across this place this morning. Would you please begin to sing at one time, just as I am, begin to sing it out. sing this great old hymn of the church. May I have the words, please? Thank you. I'm a little Catholic girl. I didn't learn this when I was younger. Just as I am without this room this morning you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior you've never had that promise of help today in a heavenly home tomorrow you're mired you're bound in your sins your habits, your addictions God has brought you into this room this morning so that you can know Jesus loves you and he's given the price already 
for you to be free. You're here in this room this morning. I'm talking to you. You say, Pastor, I want Jesus to come into my heart and come into my life. Would you raise your hand right now? That's me. I need Jesus in my heart. I need Jesus in my life. I need him to forgive me of my sins. Raise your hand right now. Right where you stand, I need Jesus. As I wait a moment, right where you stand, raise it and hold it there. Yes, someone else. Raise it and hold it there as I wait a moment. Someone else. Hallelujah. Yes, I see your hand back in the back. Someone else. That's me. I need Jesus. So wait just a moment. I need Jesus. Put your hand up. Hold it there till I see it. So wait just another moment. Anyone else? I need Jesus. All right, you're in this place this morning. You say, Pastor, you're reading my mail today. I've been disillusioned. I've been disillusioned. Things didn't work like I thought they would. I need God to help me. I need God to strengthen me. I need God to put my feet back on that straight path so I can pursue Him. That's you. Would you raise your hand and say, pray for me? Yes, yes. Across the room this morning. Yes, so many. So many. Everyone who raised your hand, step out right now and come. Step out and come. Whether you raise your hand for first time salvation or you need God to strengthen you today. Come on. Come right now. God wants to minister to you. He wants to breathe life into you. Don't wait for anyone else. You come this morning. Elders and deacons, stick up up and right behind them, please. Come this morning. We're going to pray and we're going to believe God. We're going to know that God's doing a great work in our lives. Someone else, come on. Many hands were raised. Step out and come this morning. Don't wait for anyone else. You come today. Come on, step out and come this morning. God's drawing you. God's drawing you. Come on. Come on. God's drawing you. Sandra, pray with that lady and lead her to the Lord. Tina, pray with her and lead her to the Lord. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for every person that has stepped into this altar area this morning. You know the hurts, the heartaches, the disappointments, the grief. You know the things that have burdened them and pressed them down. You know the sense of disillusionment and disappointment that has crowned their life. I pray now, Father, that you administer life and strength to them. That they would recite and remember everything you've done for them. And that in what you have done, they would be encouraged. Man will always fail. God will never fail. Speak that into their hearts and speak that into their lives right now. Let your grace, your mercy, your healing, your strength, your power begin to flow in their lives right now. In Jesus' mighty name. In that cup you have a wafer that represents the broken body of Jesus Christ. Would you take it out right now? Lord, you said this do as often as you remember me. As often as you eat it. Represents your broken body. I pray now for broken spirits and broken hearts and broken lives to be healed through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Minister life to them in the name of Jesus. Would you take that wafer with me, please? And that cup represents the blood that Jesus shed at Calvary. 
It's through the blood, folks. It's through the blood that we have redemption. It's through the blood we have forgiveness. It's through the blood that we have life everlasting. So would you take that cup with me? Let the blood wash and cleanse. Let the blood purify and remove that memory that's hurt you so badly right now with the blood. Father, we come just as we are. We're broken. We're hurting. We need you. We come just as we are. And ask that you would restore us, renew us, heal us, help us in Jesus' name. One more time, sing it out, just as I am. If you need prayer, come this morning as we begin to sing. Thank you for listening to audio from Christian Heritage Church, located in Tallahassee, Florida. Feel free to give copies of this message to others, but do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Christian Heritage Church, please visit us online at chctoday.com. 